about a little over seven years ago. I know because of my seven-year-old right here. She was really, really young. And Jen was, I mean, really young, still like infancy stage. And I remember Jen sent me to the store for something. Um, so I ran over to Fred Meyer by her house, and I don't remember what she sent me for. That might have been part of the problem, because I, was, I can't remember even to this day. But, but it was something I had to get, right? And so I was there, and I was walking the aisles, and it was late. It was like 10 o'clock at night, and there wasn't a lot of people in there. And I was, I was kind of working my way around um, to try and find whatever it was. And I hear this, like, um, you know, guy speaking through this really, really bad, like, PA system. I'm like, well, you can't help but, like, see it. And you see this guy, he's got one of those headsets, and he's got, like, this little table set up, and he's got, like, two or three people kind of watching him, and he's, he's talking about uh, none other than the Genius Nicer Dicer, okay? Like, this thing was amazing, and I did every single thing that my sales past has taught me is not to fall for one of these things, right? But I got sucked in. I don't know if it was because I was tired because I had a new baby or what, but, but here he was, and he starts, and he gets up there, and he's talking about this genius nicer dicer, okay? And so Jen, Jen has this amazing way to like dice stuff, but whenever she asks for me to help in the kitchen, I'm not a great, I'm not great at cutting. I don't know if I just lack dexterity or whatever, so it's like it ends up with me like chopping and it, it's ugly and it's gross. So I'm like, this is going to be the most amazing thing for our household. She's going to be like, hey, Brian, can you cut the tomatoes? I'm like, you bet. Whoops, look at that one fly swoop. Here it is. Perfect dices. And I was like, this is going to solve all our problems in the kitchen. It's going to speed up. I'm like, I, I have to get this. I, I have, how much is he? He's like, well, but wait, there's more, sir. You know, and so he does kind of his thing. Right? He's sitting there doing his whole like, like little, um, you know, dance. And, and I can't, I think it was like 39 bucks or whatever. And it came with like 18 billion things you didn't need. And then it came with this one little, I don't remember what it's called, but it was like this little black plastic thing that was like triangular that pits something out. We've used that thing a lot. Okay. The other thing, it, it didn't get used much. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So, so I, the first time I come home and I'm like, Hey Jen, she's asleep. So the next morning I'm like, okay, I've solved all of our cutting problems in the kitchen. The genius nicer dicer, okay? And she's like, that's, that's ridiculous. But I'm like, no, no, I watched him. It worked amazing on carrots, on tomatoes. I mean, like anything, you can dice it, you can get different slices, you can even do cheese if you want to in here. And she's like, okay, great. And I think I remember, I think the first thing I used was the tomato. Because I remember this because the first time I used it, I went to push it through the little dicer and it just kind of smushed it. It was like, you know, like out. Well, obviously that wasn't the tomato one. I need to grab the other thing. And, and basically, I got duped. The thing did not work at all. Okay. I mean, it was horrible. It was not genius and not a nicer and it definitely didn't dice. Okay. So I don't know where they got that name. It was horrible, but I got taken. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life where you had expectations or hopes or you thought something was going to be amazing and you were completely let down. That was that thing I did. They did let us take it back, by the way. We got the money, but it had to go through some other, it was weird because yeah, that's not story. Anyways, we did get it back, but we still had that little black thing because that was a free gift that they said, well, this doesn't go with it that Fred Meyer was throwing in and we have used that. So all in all, I think I won in the long run. Okay. So either way, that's, um, but you you experience that sometimes where, where you have these expectations of something being something. And then you realize that it's drastically not. And maybe it's not something like a, a dicer, but, but maybe it's, you know, church. You had this expectation that the church you're at or that this would, it would do this or it would meet this need or, or it'd be this, but then you realize very quickly that it's, it's not. Or maybe it's a relationship or, or maybe it's a, it's a marriage or it's your kids or a school or a job. And you have these expectations. And a lot of times what happens, and not every time, a lot of times we just kind of walk into this, but a lot of times we're duped. We're led to believe it's something that it's not. In fact, we do it. We, like, if you're dating someone and you're trying to, to win them over, you don't let them know all your junk right at the front, right? Like, you're not like that. And some of you try that. It doesn't work well, but, but good for you for being honest, all right? But either way, like, like you, you, you struggle with that. 
And like I said last week, the, the, we're starting a new year, and this is a new year, and I love it even though it's an arbitrary date. It gives us kind of a, a stopping point, a pausing point where we can go, okay, what, what happened in the previous year, and what do I want to happen in, in the year coming? And, and we're in the, the, a really, really difficult set of Scripture. It's a set of Scripture that honestly, like, as a pastor, it's kind of be nice to just skip through it, but that's why we teach just through a book because then we're going to come to the stuff that sometimes we don't want to hear about, but God drastically needs to speak to us. And so we're going we're to surrender ourselves to his word and let that come. But it's a hard set of scripture. It's Jesus' woes. It's when he's, 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 he's rebuking the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders, for all of their hypocrisy. And he's just going to heaps hitting. And so last week, like I said, most of us, if, if you, 200 B.C., 300 B.C., when the Pharisee group kind of became into one, if, if any of us could have walked in that room and said, I don't know if they're sitting on a couch, you know, and, and having this conversation, probably wasn't a couch, but whatever, they're sitting there, right? And they're like having this conversation about, we just need to get back to God's loss. We've lost our way. We need to, we need to hold true to this. And their, their hearts and their intent and their, their, their purpose was, we're going we're gonna to bring this back to truth. And if any one of us had walked into that room, wherever it was, in this dark room, and you know, they've been talking for hours, we walked in and said, hey, just so you guys know, this group you're starting, give it a couple hundred years, but you're going to crucify the Messiah. They would, have, they would have like beat us up. You gotta be kidding me. No, we're gonna, we're gonna establish a following so that when the Messiah comes, we can be his front runners. We can be right with him and follow him into the, the new kingdom and breaking in and, and, and the rule of that. They would, have, they would have thought you were you were a moron for telling them that. They would have laughed you out of the room because that was not their point. That was not their hope. But incremental steps along the way, they lost their way. And similar, like I said, what I love about the new year is you can look back. You can look back in 2015 now and go, okay, at the beginning of 2015, I had a desire and a goal to do this. And you can look back and say, did I, did I achieve that? Did that happen? And I brought it up in the relationship with God. Like when you, when you came to Christ, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, whether that was, you know, it is a young, young age and it brought up in the church or a camp experience, or it's maybe some of you was just in college or some of you it's many, many years later, but either way, when that moment happened, when you surrendered to Jesus Christ in that moment, it was like, you had all hope. You know, I, I, can't, I can't wait. And there was excitement and the words jumped off of the pages and everything was a new thing and you were learning. You're like, this is so good. If I'm loving this this much 10 years from now, I can't imagine where I'm going to be with Christ. But most of us, that excitement, that, that zeal has died down. And realistically, if we're honest, 10 years ago, where we are today, it's, we're here when we really thought and hoped we'd be here. And there were incremental steps along the way, choices that you made that were not aligned to God's word, were not submitted to his will. And you started making them, sometimes ignorantly, sometimes willfully, sometimes just straight disobediently. And what ended up is you look back and you went, man, I, I'm all the way over here. And I really, really wanted to be here. What, what happened? And some of you can pick it like this day, this day, and this day. And some of you are like, I have no idea. I have no idea how I ended up here. And that's like the Pharisees. They were standing in there so confident in their steps and the way they went that when they came time to it, when they stepped up to it and Jesus was set on scene and the Messiah showed up, what happened, right? They were getting rebuked for their hypocrisy. Everything that they were teaching, Jesus was flipping it right side up again. Saying, you guys have got it all backwards. And my fear is, is that a lot of you in here are there. And so I challenged you last week, and I said that I want to make this a year of authenticity. And God is calling us to, to, to authentically live out what we say we believe, not just fake or pretend. In fact, I, 
defined hypocrite, well, defined um, authenticity was not false or copied, genuine or real. And I looked at James 2, where it said, James 2.18 said, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And James is talking about the fact that faith is through, just before the faith is through Jesus Christ alone. It's a gift. It's his work on the cross that we believe in. But to say that we believe that and to not see anything in our life line up in it, he's saying that's foolishness. That's ridiculous. In fact, that's hypocrisy. And I told you last week, hypocrisy is, it was started out as a positive term. It was used for actors. Oh, they were such a good hypocrite. They pretended to be someone else, and it was a positive thing. Well, this, by Jesus' day, it was not positive, and today, obviously, it's not positive as well. Because it's someone pretending to be something they're actually not. My fear is, is that a lot of us are, are, are pretending. A lot of us are pretending in, in one way or another. So what we did is, 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 is our church growth model this year, right? Let's start at the beginning of the year talking about all the horrific ways we're hypocrites and let's see how it plans out. This is awesome, right? But what we did last week is we looked at how we may have tendencies to be hypocrites with our voices, with our words. What are the things that we say that show different than what we believe? And so we're going to do this week and then next week. We're going to talk about other ways in which that we can tend to be hypocritical. And my desire is not that you would leave beat up and full of shame. My desire is that you would, you would leave charged, encouraged, rebuked by the Spirit of God, and you would surrender yourself to His Word. And so that you could say that tomorrow, and the next day, and a week from now, and a year from now, you could say, look at how God brought me to a spot of authenticity for His glory and His glory alone. And surrender to it, and stop going through the motions. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to turn in Matthew. God, thank you for your word. It is a hard word, and I know especially in a word today is speaking through this scripture. It's one of those ones that a lot of us have stigmas and pains and hurts in the past form. Maybe some of us are in the middle of it. So, God, I just pray that you would um, sift through that in a way that only a, the true healer and redeemer could do. Um, break apart um, the chains in us and our hearts, the ways that we are, we are in, in, enslaved by these thoughts, God. And would you bring us to a people of more authenticity? Not for, for our glory so that people can say we're so authentic, but that we could make much of your son, Jesus Christ, and your kingdom as it's crashing here on earth, as we pray for it to be as it is in heaven. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up, and the ushers are bringing one up. Um, tw- verse 23 is where we're going to be today. Um, again, I want to just a quick definition. The word woe is not actually a word. Okay, it's a, it's a it's an interjection. It's a, it's a it's a phrase. So when Jesus uses the word "woe," it's not like you have a direct definition. But in the New Testament, it's predominantly used as a word or a phrase that carries with it both compassion and sadness and judgment in one setting. So when Jesus says "woe" to you, he's not just condemning. It does carry with it judgment, but he's carrying with it judgment in a compassionate, saddened state. So when he says, whoa, it's, it's, whoa, like you, there is judgment with this, but it breaks my heart that this judgment's true about you. So that is a, that is a word there. So he says, whoa, that's, that's what that means. Um, and before, again, like I said, we talked about the, uh, the word, our words last week. So this week, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 23. 
I don't read this with exclamation points, but it's interesting how many exclamation points there are in this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow, that's a lot of fun stuff to talk about, isn't it? All right, let's just dig in. A couple, couple um, things that we need to understand kind of historically and in this context here. Um, in their day, the, 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 the gnats and camels were both deemed unclean in Leviticus 11. Okay, so these, these, these are two animals that are unclean or two, two species that would be considered unclean. So the reason why it was important to be clean for them to worship God in the temple, they had to be ceremonial clean. So there were processes in which how to make yourself clean, processes in which it made you unclean. And so that's, that's a little context and we'll get there in a second. Secondly, every single Jewish person would spend and anyone around that area would, would always make a trek at least once a year up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the highest spot. Everything else is below. So they would work their way up to Jerusalem. When this day, when people died, they didn't necessarily have specific cemeteries. Okay, they didn't really have specific cemeteries. So a lot of times people would die and it's like, that's a pretty tree. Let's bury him here. Or let's, this is neat. Let's bury him here. Or sometimes when people are making the journey up to Jerusalem, someone would die on that journey because it was pretty hard and difficult. Well, he's dead. We need to bury him here. So they bury him here. And a lot of times, instead of burying them underground, they would, they would bury him in these, these, these the bone boxes, essentially. These, these little boxes where they, they place the bones after the flesh is eaten off in these boxes. And those are, the, those are the tombs. In fact, if you go to Israel today and you stand by the Eastern Gate, you can see thousands of bone boxes. Thousands, just one right on top of the other. These white little boxes full of bones. And that's how they would do it. Now, why that's an interesting thing is that if you, by, by the law of God had put in place, we have in place, if you had touched a, a dead person or, or come in contact with a grave, you were ceremonially unclean for seven days. Well, a lot of people would be heading to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem for Passover, to literally offer and, and make atonement for sins and, and, and celebrate in that whole way, but they would be completely held out because of their uncleanness for seven days. So the issue was, is if a, if a bone box hadn't been cleaned, hadn't been placed, and you'd accidentally touched one, ah, I'm unclean for seven days. Well, the past, you'd miss the whole Passover and not be able to be a part of it. So there was a rule instated that everyone knew this. The, the month before Passover, on the 15th day, was the, the whitewashing time. It was when everyone had to wash the tombs of the dead and so that they could see it. So when you're walking, you see, oh, there's this tomb. And what would happen is because of the way they would wash them and happen in the dirt and everything else, they would gleam. They'd be beautiful. They'd be bright and white. I mean, beautiful for a tomb, but they're they were pretty in comparison to the landscape. And so these bright white boxes kind of don't touch that, don't walk on that, don't, don't be near that would give people the way so that they wouldn't accidentally take a rest or eat lunch on a bone box. And so that was, that was what was going on there. So Jesus is speaking into terms that make sense to them. Gnats are unclean, camels are unclean, unclean animals. And so are, so, so was bone boxes or, or graves or tombs in that way. And so, so that's kind of the context of what he's doing. Now, Jesus steps in and he talks about this one word that, oh man, the church is, 
as a whole really struggles to talk about, right? It's this word tithe. It comes from the word tenth, and, and, and that's what it means. Now, in, in Jesus' day, the Jews had to tithe on a number of things that was biblically mandated by them. They were in place. So the first one was that you tithe 10% to God for this way. Now, what had happened is the scribes and religious leaders had started adding to that. So by Jesus' day, every Jewish person that wanted to be in right standing with God and follow the system had to tithe 23% of their income. 10% for the standard, what God had placed for the temple, and this is what you do. 10% a year annually, so just another 10% of a year annually to do for ceremonies and, and Passover and some of those other things. And then another 10% for over three years, so that would be broken up in over three years, to essentially it was their form of welfare. It was like a tax. And so it was the way that the church, the, the temple would try and take care of that. So 23% of everyone's income was expected to be given. And th- then what the Pharisees had done in this time is they'd taken something like the tithe and they tried to follow it as to the letter. And so much so that one of the things you had to tithe, not only just on your finances, but on your goods. So if you had a crop of some sort, then you had to tithe out of that. If you had a... a um, any, anything, any kind of good that you had to do, you had to make a tithe on every single product that you did, whether it was food or not. Now, herbs, that was not clearly communicated. In fact, there was no real clear, like, you have to tithe on every single herb and mint and dill. And so Jesus is making a point that these Pharisees are not only tithing on this 23%, but they're also taking 10 mint leaves and going, oh, there's 10, take one out. Oh, there's 10, take one out. And they're actually, they're actually tithing on mint and dill, these cumin and these, these little spices and herbs that, that it seemed like ludicrous to do so. Now, I, I want to be clear about this. The church today is kind of somewhat divided on this. I, I, I believe that the, the tithe is an Old Testament, Old Covenant commitment. It's a, it's a, it's a commitment that, that we are done there. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus tells us we are to be sacrificial. Okay, now I, I want to say this really clearly. Some of you are like, well, but I like giving 10%. Great. That's awesome. Some of you are like, well, I don't want to give 10%. That seems like too much. Great. Okay, whatever. The point is, is you're supposed to be generous. And I think most of us in the argument around the tithe and whether or not the tithe is upheld or not, most of it is us arguing what, what little we can give. If we're really honest, most of us are trying to figure out what's the minimum I can do? What's the least amount of generosity I can have and be okay with God? That's, that's, if we're honest, that's kind of where that goes. That's where most of us struggle and wrestle with money. Okay, And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But these Pharisees had done it perfectly. I mean, like A plus, 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 plus. They were, they were doing the tithe. They had it down. And Jesus says, that's great. That's awesome. You did a good job. You did that. But you neglected the weightier of things. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. And it's interesting that he says weightier. So weightier wasn't actually a term that was in the Bible. It's not like that was there. It was a rabbinical teaching where they had brought in light laws and weight, heavy laws. And so what the rabbis had taught in Jesus' day is there were things, and we talked about this with the oaths, there are ways in which you can break oaths. They're just light, uh, light laws. Just break it on the light ones, not the heavy ones. And what they were doing is they were creating a system and taking God's word and trying to find things that we can not do to be deceitful. And so there was this huge infrastructure of what was a light and what was a heavy. And you know what's crazy is one of the things that were considered light? Mercy and justice. Those were light laws. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do justice and do mercy. That's great, but it's light. So if you're going to break one, break that one, but don't you dare break the tithe. That's a heavy one. You have to give the money. Have to. And so what they do, so Jesus uses their word by saying weightier. And he brings them in and says, you've, you've missed it. And he quotes Micah 6, 8, which every single Pharisee, if they were well-educated, which most of them were, 
would have known was Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord call you to do, right? He says he has taught you what to do and what is good, to do justice, to love mercy, and to to walk humbly and faithfully with your Lord. So this this is something you should all know. And so Jesus just quotes that without actually going to that. And says, you guys are using this religious thing for excusing this not doing it. You're a hypocrite. And another thing to understand is in, in the tithing, we saw this in Matthew 6. Jesus, Jesus talks about how the Pharisees, they love to give and trumpets are sounded. And they, it was like a big celebration. In fact, a lot of other cultures still to this day, the, the offering's done up front and people walk up and give. And that's, that's pretty much how it's done. That's done in the Philippines. It's done a lot of places that way. Right? It's not just passed and people can do it and they're hiding, but they walk up and do it. Well, when the Pharisees do it, they trumpet sound like, look what I did. Here I am. This is awesome. And it was like, whoa, this guy's so generous. Look at all that. Look, he's got mint leaves in there. He's, whoa, that guy knows Jesus. Like that's literally how they were trying to do it, right? Except not Jesus because they weren't really about that. But that's what we would do today, right? They would use a religious system to look religious and look like they had the part all the while they were completely blatantly disregarding other aspects of God's word. Does that sound familiar to any of us? Right, my, maybe it's not money, although my bet we, and we'll get there in a second, but how many of us love, love, love God's word when it's a part of a pet doctrine that we love to follow, but when something comes in and, and confronts our actions, confronts something that we like doing, it's like, whoa, whoa. Well, I'm not, I'm not, no, 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 no. But I'll just do more of this because I like this and I gain something from this. If I show up and serve a whole lot, I mean, people see me, I'm in the classes and I'm always setting up and I'm tearing down. If I do all of that, I can ignore this part because I'm making up for it as if God doesn't see the heart behind either of them. People hide. And so the, the, the Pharisees were hiding behind this, this tithe and this financial thing. And I, I, my assumption is that most of us aren't actually in that spot. And sorry, statistically, in, in, in the evangelical church across America alone, my bet is most of us aren't in this situation where we're, we're giving away lots and lots of money in hopes to not have to deal with anything else. In fact, it's probably safe to say that most of us are great at doing all these other things, but the money thing, we're like, yeah, don't talk about that in church. Let's, let's just, whoa, whoa, whoa. But either way, there's, there's something. And Jesus isn't just talking about the tithe. He just picks one of the areas in which the Pharisees today were not being obedient to God. They were blatantly disregarding mercy and kindness and justice and faithfulness and trying to hold on to holiness by something they could do and people could see. And so Jesus says, whoa, you hypocrites. Hypocrites. In fact, he goes a little bit further into it and he says, it's like straining out a gnat, swallowing a camel. That's a really weird statement. Well, a lot of Pharisees in Jesus' day, a lot of religious people in Jesus' day, because um, they didn't have necessarily the way to store drinks like we do, they would drink their wine with their teeth clenched, okay, in hopes to strain any bugs that may or may not have gotten in it. So that they didn't want to ingest it, because if they ingested it, it would have made them unclean and tell, like all these different ways. If they just got that touch, they could do a different process. So they'd do that. They'd clench their teeth and strain out any bugs and spit whatever bugs came in so that they didn't do it. And what he's saying, it's like they're doing that while eating a steak of camel. That's essentially what he's saying. He's like, you're so worried about the little gnat, and you're like, mm, this camel tastes great. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. What you're doing is so ridiculous is what Jesus is saying. For us, it's it simply, it's, let me, let me say a couple more modern day understandings, because I'm sure not many of us have a lot of experience with camels or gnats. Well, maybe gnats, but not camels, okay? 
It's like, it's like looking at someone sitting across your friend next door and be like, you can not, you cannot be unfaithful to, to, to God with, with your relationship with this girl. Like stop fooling around with her. Like it is the wrong thing to do. In fact, do you even love Jesus, man? Like, really? Like, do you even love Jesus? You're fooling around with your girlfriend. I cannot believe that. And then walking home and turning on the computer screen and start just looking at porn and being like, that's okay because it's, it's not a real girl. It's that backwards of thinking. It's holding piety on what you believe is true while disregarding something that is blatantly obvious in God's word. That's what he's saying. He's, and Jesus is trying to make it understand. He's saying, look, you guys are so upside down. You're so backwards. You are so backwards. You, you've missed it. And a lot of us do that. We just hide it. The reason the Pharisees were doing it was because they liked to be looked at as religious, which none of us do, right? We don't like to look good in church. Someone asks you, how are you doing? I'm fine. Marriage is falling apart. Don't know if God loves me, but I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not going to say any of that stuff. In fact, I, I was doing some reading on a statistic. <laughs> And they say that the average time a person spends getting ready for the day, ready for this? This is a statistic. They say that the average time that, that, that some, actually, let's ask this question. Be honest now. How many of you, when you wake up to when you leave the door, it's like shower, getting ready, is less than 30 minutes? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Okay, perfect. How many of you would say it's more than 30 minutes, right? Okay, wow, you guys are so much more honest than first service. Thank you, all right? Here, here's the thing. I love my wife, and she's sitting in here right now. We have this huge disagreement about shower times, okay? See, there's no hot water. I'm like, well, you were in there for 40 minutes. She's like, it was like five, okay? So, so my assumption, is, my assumption is, is that most of us, even the ones that said under 30 minutes, if we were really honest with ourselves, we'd, we'd probably round it down. And even some of you over 30 minutes are like, well, it's a lot over 30 minutes. Like, you were there. But they say if you just spend an average of 30 minutes a day getting ready, just an average, okay? 30 minutes a day. That's seven days, seven and a half days of your year standing in front of the mirror. So you just lost a week, a week of standing in front of the mirror doing nothing else. Okay, that was your week, right? Gone. Now, what's unique about that is if we're honest, and, and some of you are like, by the way, this isn't a plea for some of you like, man, I, I just rolled here. Like most people around you are going like, please do something with yourself. Okay, like it's not like uh, your hair's this way, drool going like, I don't get ready. It's like, yeah, it's a problem. Okay, like it's a, <laughs> right? That's not, that's not the point. Okay, <laughs> but but you spent an average of 30 minutes a day this last year, 2015, in the first 10 days of this year, an average of 30 minutes a day. Let's be honest now, how many, don't, show, don't raise your hand, how many have actually spent an average of 30 minutes a day with the Lord? Right now. Look, I get it, it's good to shower. Thank you for showering, <laughs> okay? And it's good to get ready. But it seems a, a lot like we're, doing something about the outside, but not really about the inside. So you're like, well, I came to church this week. Well, good for you. That's great. But how many times have you actually opened God's word? So you're like, I pray all day. Well, that's good too. Pray without ceasing. But there's also a time to get on your hands and knees before the Lord and be still and know that he is God. It seems like you're spending a lot of time, we spend a lot of time on the outside and not the inside. This isn't a plea for somebody to be like, great, now I got to get my getting ready process down lower. No, I'm not saying, take your time, enjoy it. In fact, some of you moms are like, that's the only quiet time I have in the house, all right? Like, don't take it from me. 
No, get ready, take, enjoy it. But, but my, my point is, is that if you're spending more time on the exterior and less time on the interior, it seems a lot like what the Pharisees are doing. In fact, Jesus just said it. He said, right, he goes under the cup. Because it's the cup analogy. You spend a bunch of time cleaning the outside so it looks really nice. But inside, it's just dung. And some of us, we, we, we are more hypocritical than others. We say we believe that, but we really, really don't in action show that. And we, we live completely unauthentically, completely hypocritical. We pretend to follow Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, is this, is, this isn't good. It's not good. And it's not about you pleasing me or someone sitting next to you. You're married, you're not like, okay, I'm just gonna be religious so my wife will know that I'm religious. No, that's the wrong thing again. You follow God's commands, you live for him, you live in authenticity because God is good. And because he loves you, because He has given you the means to do so through his spirit. And it's for his glory and his purposes. People around you may not know how authentic you are, but they will be the they will get to experience the joy of it. And so the Pharisees were, were fake. The, the cup and the dish, is, is, it's a comical thing because those were rare in this day. Like having a fancy china was not a common thing. And, and, and the Pharisees would use really, really fan, fancy china and eat a really, really great meal made off of money they stole from widows. I mean, how, how backwards is that? They would steal from widows and have this great steak in place. And Jesus is saying, you're eating all uncleanness. You're eating filth. So you can look good. And some of you, let's be honest, some of you need to have this. Like you, you tell coworkers you go to church just because you like the idea of them thinking you as good. Some of you, you have, and I think this is one that we're probably, especially I'm going to pick on the, the younger generation. We're really, really good at this. Older generation isn't free from it too, but, but we pick a, a doctrine that we love in here, right? This is justice, or you know, we pick a, a social justice that we want to be a part of, or we pick a doctrine of some theology that we want to really, really, really focus in on, and we spend all of our energy, life, and time getting to know that, which is great, and we understand it, but then we treat that differently to every other person that disagrees with us, right? We use, we use piety and say, how dare you? You don't know this? Well, I'm smarter than you. I'm wiser than you. And all the while, we ignore the very things that God has called us to do in humility. So we use these doctrines to these theologies that we love to like, oh, this is it. And we focus in on it and say, this is everything. And all the while we're living fake lives over here because we're pretending. He just goes on and he says it as clearly as possible as if the cup and dish wasn't tough. He goes on and says the whitewashed tombs. And that was, I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty harsh blow. And that day that's saying that like literally like all you are is absolute filth on the inside. And you look so good on the outside. It's interesting, if you look at the, the tithing, you know what Jesus says? He doesn't say, don't tithe. <laughs> Did you notice that? He doesn't actually confront them on that. He actually says, good job, keep doing that. Don't neglect to do that while you still do these other things. See, this is, this is the thing, guys. Whether it's money or, or serving or, or just loving your, your spouse or um, ser- um, humility or whatever it is, whatever it is, 
the point isn't that you get so laser focused and like, I gotta just work on my pride, although God may be working on your pride. It's that you don't neglect all the other things that God calls you to do. Because He is deserving of everything of us. Don't pretend. Here's, here's, here's the thing about hypocrisy, guys. Is you, you might be able to fool people for a really long time. But hypocrisy will always show itself. It's like my, my lovely wife, Jen. She's pregnant with our fourth child. Surprise! Right? Most of you don't know that. If you look at her, if you saw her from like 4 p.m. on, you'd totally know it because she's horribly sick, right? But, but you can't, like, nothing looks different. Okay, she's pregnant, great. But at nine months, she's still going to be very beautiful, right? But she's either going to look like she has a baby or she's gaining weight in a really, really weird spot, okay? Like, it's just going to, like, it's going to be very, very obvious. And how foolish would it be for her to walk around saying with a nine-month pregnant belly, I'm not pregnant. I'm not pregnant. Nope, not pregnant. Just kidding. Ha-ha. I'm not pregnant. But that's what we do with hypocrisy. We keep sounding the trumpet. No, no, I'm not pretending. I'm not pretending. And pretty soon everyone around us sees it. Clear as day. In fact, the people closest to you, I guarantee, see it. If you'll actually let people in. And we just keep pretending. And keep pretending. You don't need to see that analogy all the way through. But either way, it does say that we give birth to sin. And sin perpetuates itself and continues to go. And so, my fear is there are a number of you pretending to follow Jesus by looking one way on the outside when the inside is just screaming out, going, I am a broken mess. Free me, Jesus. Free me from this. But because you're so prideful, so arrogant, so afraid, you think God will reject you? I don't know what it is, right? But there's something in you that's saying, don't let it out. Just keep pretending. And I'm tired of that, guys. I'm tired of that in my own life. I don't want to be a, a pastor of a church with a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, one of the scariest things, look, I, I get, like, as a pastor coming to a text that talks about money in a church, like, don't, don't get me wrong, that's scary, okay? Because I know that there's a lot of stigma around that. But I'm more afraid of, as a pastor, giving to account to God for a bunch of people that he's going to stay away from me. I never knew you. That scares me more. So in a second, we're going to take an offering. And an offering is, is, is a way to give to God what is His and is done through finances. But I want, to, I want to be really clear about something. My bet is there are every single one of us has a horror story or sob story about how a church or a person in my position or someone has misused money that you have sacrificed to God. I want to say this as gently as I can. It happens. I'm sorry. But it's not your job to worry about what the money's done with. It's your job to be generous to God. He doesn't, he doesn't call you outside that. Now, there is wisdom in not, if a place is laundering money, stop giving money to it. That, that's wise counsel, okay? But if you're like, well, I don't like that the church has to spend money to turn on a light or to pay a salary. Well, you know what? Like, then don't go to that church. But every church that has that stuff is going to have to spend money on it. And, and my assumption, my bet is most of us that are, are against finances in the church, we have probably justifiable good reasons, but we're using those reasons today, and that is sin. 
a sin, guys. Like, listen to it. Like, God has called us to be generous. It doesn't, it's not a, it's not a, hey, you should try it sometime. Try and be generous. No, in fact, in fact, in the new covenant, we're called to be like Christ who gave his life up for us. So how come we're so afraid of a couple bucks here or there or a little bit extra time here or there? That's not generosity. And my assumption is most of us aren't on the side of, man, we give all the time and we hide from God and all this other stuff. I, like, again, statistically, it's probably the other way around. And so here's, here's what I want to challenge you. Again, I, I don't, it's not like I take joy in talking about this stuff, guys. But you know what I have joy in? I have joy in people not pretending. I have joy in knowing that when we remain in Christ, when we stay present with him in our lives, that we will have our, our joy made complete and full. But when it comes to the offering, I'm going to challenge you. If you have not in 2015, or even, well, let's just short it up. 2016, it's only been nine days, right? It's a pretty easy like marker point. If you are not a generous person, it's time to be generous if you claim Christ. And I don't care if it's here or somewhere else. I really do not care. I really do not. This is not, this is not, there's no hidden underlining meaning. Stop hearing it that way if you've heard that way in the past. It is about your heart. Jesus says that where your treasure is, your heart is. My fear is a lot of us believe our treasure is him, but our heart is not really there because it's something else selfishly motivated. It's about our stuff and what I get and what my savings account says and what, what toys I can have. And Jesus is saying, you're, you're a hypocrite. Here's again, and I said this last week, guys. Here's the best part. And we saw some of the Pharisees. We have an account of them in Acts and a few others. Pharisees that went, you're right, Jesus. I am. I'm a hypocrite. I'm fake. I've missed it. I, I, I want to follow you. And you know what he does? He wraps his arms around and says, follow me. Follow me. Don't sit on the sideline and look at me as I go. Follow me. So don't pretend. So some of you, you aren't generous. And, and God has clearly called us to be generous. And so my challenge is for you to be generous. And maybe not today. Maybe you need to take some time to, to understand what that looks like for generosity. Maybe some of you need to understand a little bit more, like you need to ask God to do a work in your heart. And that's, that's great. Take your time to do so. But stop using excuses to not be generous. I don't make enough. It doesn't matter. You, you're generous with what you make. People in the past, that's all the church has ever wanted. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. God is at you, after your heart. He's after my heart. Don't use excuses. And some of you, my assumption is, some of you here, you've been giving faithfully over and over and over again, whether at the church or through other nonprofits or whatever. You've been just, just generous. You've been giving and giving, 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 giving. But you've never stopped recently and said, God, is this what you're calling me to do? Is this generous? Is this sacrificial? Is this what actually you're calling me to? You just kind of keep giving, just writing money out of compulsion. Or you do it to make amends. Like, I'm going to keep giving money so that I can keep getting drunk over here and not feel bad about it. I'm going I'm to keep giving money so that I can not be merciful or kind to these people that God puts around me. And my challenge for you when, when we get to that point, don't give. Don't give. Don't give here. Don't give anywhere. Don't get me wrong, you need to give, but, but spend some time with the Lord where he actually defines in you what it means to be generous with what he's given you. And here's the hardest part, guys. Most of us know. 
we're really honest. We sat down with a friend that we truly trusted. Maybe it was our spouse that we truly trusted. and said, are we, are we being generous? We probably looked and go, well, probably not. I had a situation with Jen just the other day where I was like, I didn't want to do that. I had to confess it to her. I didn't want to do that. But I did it. That doesn't sound like a cheerful giver, right? So that's not holy. Like, not like, hey, good job, Bren. Like, that's an issue in my heart. Like, I should have been able to do that cheerfully if he was calling me to do so. And we all will wrestle with this. And then there's some of you that, that you're, you're in this and you see it. You're like, man, I've, I feel like God's asked me to give what he's, he's calling me to give. I feel like I'm, I'm continuing to see sanctification. Like I look at 2015 and I see where God's brought me at the beginning of 2016. All I can do is get on my knees and sometimes shed a tear about the grace he's shown me and the way he's lived it. My, my challenge for you is to be more invested in the people around you because you're kind of the anomaly, unfortunately. Unfortunately, the, the climate of, of God's church is that's not the, the norm for most people to see that growth. In fact, mostly don't see that growth. They see, they see a gross decline. And so do it. But don't pretend. Please don't pretend. It doesn't, it doesn't do anyone any, any good. And it's not gonna, you're not protecting anyone by pretending. The band's going to come up and we're going we're gonna to worship. And I, I want to challenge you in that as well. We're going to sing a song, Brokenness Aside. It says, it has this weird, this weird uh, statement where it says, I am a sinner, right? In Christ, I'm no longer a sinner. I'm not identified by that, but I still sin, right? Like, I still will make mistakes and still sin. And it's this idea, this, this, this question that they write, like, will you forgive me? Is your grace enough? Well, his grace is enough. His grace is sufficient, which means it's more than enough for each of you. But my challenge to you is don't just sing that because you like the sound of your voice. Just like I would tell you, don't just give money because you feel like, well, that's just what you do and that's how it goes. Or don't just not give money because you're like, well, that's just what I do and I don't like to do that. Like, like, stop just going through the motions of stuff, guys. To be authentic means to be real. And that means at times that maybe you just don't sing and that's okay and that's real and that's where you're at and that's where God is going to meet you. And that's great. He meets us at every single spot we're at. Some of you, you've been holding back. You've been holding back in your singing because you don't like the sound of your own voice. Yet God calls your voice a joyful noise when it's lifted up to him. Some of you have been holding back financially because you're afraid if you give that you won't be taken care of. You don't trust God and his provision. I say it that way, you're like, no, of course I trust God. Well, then, then, then live that way. Then don't just pretend to believe it, but actually live it through. None of us wants to stand up before God and hear him say, you're a whitewashed tomb. None of us want that. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. If you're in here, you don't like go, I hope he says that to me. Like none of us are doing that. But yet a lot of our actions show that we don't care if he does say that. So my challenge is, is will you guys join us in this venture to figure out what it means to be more authentic? Will you allow God's spirit to, to push on you in ways that you didn't ever see possible? Because like I said at the beginning of last week, when I said when you look back, if you look back and you're really honest and you stop trying to do away with the excuses, you can see God's hand very clear in your life. You can see where he showed up here and showed up here and showed up here. And yeah, maybe you try and coincidence it away or you try and like minimize it. But either way, you can, if you're really honest, you see God's hand. And my bet is this is the year, this is the year in your life. My hope is, is that this is the year in your life where you, you finally surrender everything to him. 
And you say, God, make me more authentic. Make me more like Christ for your glory and your glory alone. And I, I, I can promise you this. You will never, ever, ever regret being more like Christ. You, you won't. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, you may have to give up stuff that you really want. Like, I wanted an extra latte or I wanted to do this. No, sorry. No, I wanted a couple extra hours. No, but I, I got I to gotta go serve this person right now because God brought him to my mind. That's not the cheerful part. That God's working on me, guys. Just, you know, that's, he's working on me in my heart in that. But would you, would you lay, your, lay down, would you die to yourself? Would you follow the Savior who died to himself so that we could die to ourselves? And would you allow him to work in you? So I encourage you to stand, sing, sit, pray. Maybe some of you want to make up some of that 30 minutes right now in prayer. Do it. But whatever it is, like, let it be where you're at and not pretending. That makes sense? Let's just stop pretending. In fact, spouses, this will be fun. You guys can do this at home if you're married. Anytime someone does something that's not real, say, hey, you're pretending. No, maybe don't do that. Sorry, that's a bad idea, okay? But, but maybe start setting up some accountability with the people around you. If you're in a gospel community or connecting that way, you have people close to you. Start saying, like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to line up. And you can do it graciously and truthfully. Jesus encompassed both at the same time. But, like, sharpen one another. And let's see what, what authenticity does to us. Heavenly Father, would you grow us? Would you grow us when it comes to following you? I'm sure for a number of us in here, we are using one thing that your, God, your word tells us to do, and we are, we are hypersensitive, focused in on that minute detail of that, so much so that we're forgetting all other aspects of following you. And God, I just pray that you would, you would lift our eyes, you'd focus our gaze in on Jesus, and we would start looking more like him in our day-to-day lives, not just in what we say we believe, but in how we live what we believe. Father, would you strengthen us to be more like him in everything? May we not be pharisaical. May we not be hypocrites, God. And when we are, God, would you, would you cut away that which is in us that is not of you? Would, you? would you grind it off of us, Lord? Would you break down our pride and bring us to a spot of utter humility and immense weakness so that we can be strong and full and complete in you? Lord, we thank you for the work you've done and we pray that you continue to do and we thank you for the work that we know that you will do. May we be more and more surrendered to you today than we were every day before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.